1: Hi, Amanda. I'm Brian Polson with Fox 6 News. She is a danger to the public.
2: She's not fit to be at the hands of somebody else that needs care.
1: She basically stole somebody else's property. My grandmother was extremely vulnerable. It is alarming and it's concerning. And this nurse you believe at that point was clearly a a danger to the public? Obviously. Physicians and nurses with addiction are sick. They're not bad people.
2: The lack of discipline is shocking.
1: In no way was this case handled, in my opinion, the way this case should have been handled. A registered nurse is caught stealing pain medications meant for patients, not once, but twice. So why did we find her still licensed and still working nearly four years later? How a breakdown of the state agency responsible for monitoring health care professionals put patients in danger. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, here with Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi, Amanda.
2: Hi, Brian. We are recording this episode on Thursday, January 28th. And Brian, last night you exposed a nurse who has been caught stealing pain medications on the job multiple times. But more importantly, you found a regulatory system that's failed to protect the public for years. And quite frankly, it sounds like it also failed to monitor and protect healthcare workers who are struggling with addiction. So before we get into that, let's start with just the basic background of what happened here.
1: If you go back to the beginning of this, uh, 2017, the nurse, her name is Amanda Newenhouse. She currently lives in Darien, Wisconsin. Um, in 2017, she was working and living in Beloit at Beloit Health and Rehabilitation. She was, in fact, the assistant director of nursing uh, at that uh, facility. And there were suspicions that medications were not being properly documented. And on one of her shifts, uh, six pills, I believe it was, had been signed out by this nurse. Um, only two were returned the following day. They were signed out for a particular patient and the, they came back with just two pills remaining. That patient uh, told uh, nursing home staff there that she never received any of them. And uh, apparently there had already been some suspicion enough that they required the nurse, Amanda Newenhouse, to submit to a urine drug test. She did, and it came back positive for three different opioids and she had no valid prescription for any of them. So without that uh, valid explanation for why she had these opioids in her system, the missing pills, the nursing home fired her. Now, typically at that point, that would generate a complaint to the state and, uh, and start an investigation. It doesn't look like the state actually opened an investigation into this for another three months. Uh, and even then... They did very little work investigating the case. In fact, records that we found showed that they only did about 25 minutes worth of investigation in all of 2017. Remember, this happened in March. So you had nine years or nine months left, rather, in a year. They did less than a half hour worth of investigation. Nothing came of the case. In 2018, a whole year passes almost, and it's November of 2018. Still nothing has happened. It's now been a year and a half since the first case where she was caught red-handed stealing medications. And in 2018, she's working at another nursing home, this time in Williams Bay, and it happens again. Very similar circumstances. Pills go missing, happens on her shift. She's questioned about it. This time, she doesn't submit to a drug test. She simply, simply stops coming to work. She's suspended and eventually terminated. She never comes back to work. She never responds. She gives no explanation for the missing medications. It would seem to be an admission that she was responsible. So, for the second time, she's been caught stealing medications and she's off the job. This now generates a second complaint. In fact, this time, Williams Bay police are contacted by the nursing home. They write up a report, they try to reach Amanda Newton House, and she doesn't respond to them. So, they report it to the state's prescription drug monitoring program. Ultimately, that gets back to the agency that regulates nurses, the Department of Safety and Professional Services. They open a second investigation. It goes on for another number of months before they either recognize or just decide to take the step of merging the two cases into a single investigation, and that's in 2019. And after that, there is delay after delay after delay after delay. And then we get to the end of 2020, and the Fox 6 investigators receive a tip that this nurse who's been caught twice stealing medications and has two pending investigations is still working with a valid license. And sure enough, we find her working at a nursing home in Janesville called St. Elizabeth. We uh, followed her from her home because we didn't know where for sure she was going, but we had a tip she was working again. And we see her pull up to the nursing home in Janesville. She's wearing uh, or holding in her arm around her shoulder a bag that says Nurse 2020 and is wearing scrubs. And she goes inside the facility. And sure enough, she's working at this nursing home. So now this is nearly four years after the first Case, remember, it was March 2017. We see her going to this nursing home in December of 2020. So it's three years, nine months later. Not only is she still working, she still has a valid nursing license. And if you look at the state's website, there's no indication whatsoever that there's any kind of pending investigation. So it looks like this is a nurse with no problems on her record, even though we know she's been fired at least twice and possibly more, which we'll get into later, uh, for, for diverting medications. And so when you... Really break this down. This is just a case of uh, obviously this isn't. There's no question that she was diverting medications. She was fired from these two facilities. The question is why did it take the state so long to do something about it?
2: And that's the bigger issue. It's not just about this one nurse, although she does represent what appears to be a larger problem. And what I liked about your story, Brian, was you got into the issue with drug diversion with healthcare professionals, because like any profession, there are going to be people who struggle with addiction. So what, what did you find out about how this affects that industry?
1: Well, it's for a long, long time, this has been a problem within the nursing industry, not because nurses or doctors or pharmacists or any other healthcare professionals are more prone to addiction than anybody else. In fact, research has found they may be slightly less prone to addiction than the general population. The difference, obviously, with healthcare professionals is they have access to the very medications they may be addicted to. So if you're a nurse and you work in a nursing home where you dispense oxycodone, hydrocodone, other powerful opioids, and you have an addiction to those opioids, well, now you have direct access to something. And if there's not much oversight or if you know how to play the system, how to game the system, it's extremely tempting. And for someone who is an addict, when there's a temptation in front of them, it's perhaps not surprising they act on that temptation. And, and so we see a lot of this. Obviously, in the healthcare field, that makes addiction an elevated concern because it's not as though you're a grocery store bagger who might just get the stocking done wrong uh, or, or or bag the groceries improperly. You smash somebody's eggs because you're high on the job. This is a matter of patience. And if you crack eggs on the job when you're a nurse, people get hurt.
2: Right. And that's this isn't just a matter of um, you know, a patient maybe skips a dose of a pain medication, although that in itself can be very devastating for someone who needs the medication, that there is an overall safety issue here.
1: Well, and it's more than, just, obviously, at the first level, if you think about this, there are some nurses, pharmacists, and others who will steal medications that never were going to get to a patient where they don't disrupt a, a direct patient uh, uh medication regimen, um, that's still illegal. That's still a problem. Um, and the DEA tracks drug diversion uh, for, for that reason. These are controlled substances. But when you're taking someone's medication th- and substituting it, for instance, in a nursing home, you take the oxycodone pill and you substitute it with Tylenol. Well, that person might be in severe excruciating pain. It might be in a condition where they can't communicate that very well to anyone and they suffer. They suffer because they're not getting the medication they should be. But there's an additional concern that I didn't even get into in my story last night because you only have so much time in a broadcast story. Uh, but And we've seen this in places around the country where you have in hospitals, you'll have nurses that will take injectable pain medications. They will inject them themselves and then inject something else, perhaps saline, into a patient. They use a dirty needle. The hepatitis uh, C has been spread in hospitals. uh, It happened in Utah. It happened in Washington state. uh, Outbreaks of hepatitis C among healthcare professionals have occurred because of one who was stealing medication. So there's a safety concern there. There's obviously the concern for the patients uh, who, who aren't getting their medication. And then on top of all of it, there's a concern that if you have a nurse or a doctor or pharmacist or some other healthcare professional who has an addiction problem, they need treatment. And if the Disciplinary process takes no action and lets something drag on for three or four years. You look at Amanda Newenhouse, This is someone who, by all accounts, is someone who needs intensive treatment. And if she's not required to go get it, she may well not seek it on her own. And therefore, you have someone who could, in fact, be hurting herself by not getting that kind of treatment.
2: And I would imagine, I mean, this, this was obviously an issue before the pandemic hit. But after the pandemic hits, we know for a fact that we're not seeing as many state inspections of some of these facilities where healthcare workers are working. And a lot of times it's the inspection that can help bring some of these issues to light because it's not always easy to tell when someone is diverting drugs on the job.
1: It really is a perfect storm when you think about the fact that healthcare workers are under tremendous amounts of stress right now. And we know that there's a relationship between job stress, life stress, and addiction problems. So you you have that factor has has ramped up. You have much less oversight. Like you said, the inspections aren't happening the way they used to. And and actually, uh, we interviewed Reagan Thoreau, the granddaughter of one of the patients whose medications were siphoned off by this nurse. And she pointed out that if she's still working right now, there are no visitors in these facilities. And sometimes family visitors provide a level of oversight because they're watching what's going on with their loved one. They're checking in on what's happening. That oversight is gone right now. So if you are someone who is predisposed to doing something like this, you may have even greater opportunity during a pandemic uh, to, to to take advantage of the access to these pills uh, without anyone looking over your shoulder. Now, I want to be clear, we haven't heard any allegations that Amanda Newhouse was continuing to divert medications in 2020. In fact, the nursing home she was working for starting in November of 2020 uh, uh, through January through just this month, the one in Janesville, they said they had no indications of any problems, any missing medications. Um, but when they hired her, they were totally unaware of any of this past history. And once they learned of it, they, they terminated that employment relationship. But we don't know what's been going on since 2018, because nobody's really been watching very closely.
2: So let's get back to Amanda Newenhouse then. How is this process supposed to play out and versus how did it actually
1: play out? There's always going to be a time lag. It takes time to investigate things. And when you're dealing with licensed professionals, there is a process. So, the Wisconsin Department of Safety and Professional Services, its own state department, one of their charges is to investigate uh, misconduct by licensed professionals. And that includes doctors, pharmacists, nurses, dentists, podiatrists, all sorts of healthcare professionals, and other professions. So, When they receive a complaint, the first thing they do is they screen that complaint to determine is there enough here to open an investigation? And if there is, they open a case and they assign an investigator and they start gathering records and doing interviews. The typical process for a drug diversion case may take, you know, maybe it's six months, maybe it's eight months, maybe it's a year. Um, Much longer than that becomes fairly unusually long. Some of this depends on in fact, in some cases, a lot of it depends on how cooperative the professional is. In many cases, if someone is caught on the job stealing medications, they see the writing on the wall. They know this is not good. They want to get the disciplinary process over with as soon as possible. So they will work with or their attorney will work with the state on what is called a stipulated uh, disciplinary order. They will say, OK, this the state says this is what we're going to we're going to do. And if you agree to it, We'll get this done quickly and we can get you back on the path to full licensure. They may limit their license temporarily. They may suspend it temporarily and say, if you follow these steps, you'll get your license back. But that speeds up the process. In this case, not only did the state not do a very good job of, of staying on top of this case for the first couple of years, once they kind of got their arms around it and started prosecuting the case uh, more uh, effectively, Amanda Newenhouse was not cooperative at all. She didn't respond to emails, phone calls, uh, certified letters, other communications. She she didn't show up for appointments or hearings. She made excuses. She did all sorts of things to stall and delay. Because the state didn't take any action to suspend her preemptively, she didn't really have any incentive to hurry up and cooperate. If she wasn't going right, to right, she had incentive to, to
0: not cooperate.
1: She she in fact she had yeah she was actually given the incentive to stall as much as possible and she did just that. And so she responded either in the maximum amount of time the law would allow, or she missed deadlines and the state just gave her new deadlines. And so then you end up with something that's dragged on for well over three years before much of anything happened. And again, along the way, if you talk to Reagan Thoreau, her grandmother was in the nursing home in 2018 where this occurred, 18 months after the first one. Well, if this had followed a typical process, the discipline would have happened long before that and she likely the, the nurse would have likely been in treatment would have had monitoring and this never would have happened to her grandmother now her grandmother has since passed uh, we can't go and talk to her about what she experienced but again her granddaughter is concerned that she went through you know a, a lot of unnecessary pain and maybe confusion why am i in so much pain why is it like this she doesn't know but certainly there was harm done and she says it's harm that didn't have to happen
0: it's basically it sounds like what you're saying is the, the delays in this process don't only mean a delay in discipline or a delay in treatment or even a delay in, in justice. It can also mean in the meantime,
1: more patients are put at risk. Absolutely. That's certainly what happened here. And, and as uh, some of the experts I talked to on this addiction psychiatrists say, the harm also is sometimes done to the drug diverter themselves, because when it comes to drug and alcohol treatment The sooner you can treat an addiction after it's been recognized, the better the chance of a positive outcome. The longer the disease progresses, the harder it is to treat and the harder it is to treat successfully. So if an addiction has progressed to the point where someone is stealing medications at work, it's already a pretty dire situation and they need to get into treatment as soon as possible. If you wait three, almost four years to compel someone to now go get treatment, it may well be that as disease has progressed to a point where it's going to be a lot more difficult. So it's not only dangerous for the patients she may uh, be caring for, it's dangerous to the the drug diverter herself or himself uh, because they should have been in treatment a long time ago.
0: So why did this case take so long to play out?
1: Well, that's, there's a lot of uh, potential things you could point to, and the Department of Safety and Professional Services points a lot of fingers at, uh, first of all, we know right now we have uh, Governor Tony Evers uh, in Madison, and, and this is his administration. Um, he appointed Secretary Don Krim, who is the head of the Department of Safety and Professional Services a (DSPS) a spokesperson is pointing the finger backwards at the Walker administration, saying this happened in 2017 at a time when the department had a lot of uh, staffing uh, turnover and 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 morale was low, and there was there was a uh, an effort towards sort of deregulation that had uh, the, the department in turmoil, and they say that uh, caused this case to be handed off from one investigator to another, one prosecutor to another, and it just didn't get the attention it should have. They, the DSPS is clear that this should not have happened this way, that uh, this is not the way a case should be handled. So they, they're not suggesting that this is just the way that this goes. This is a case that really stands out as an example of why things need to be done better. But they seem to be pointing the finger back at a previous administration. Now, I did interview in the story Arthur Thexton, a longtime prosecutor for the Department of Regulation and Licensing, which is what it was called before it became DSPS. um, And he worked for DSPS for a number of years before retiring in 2015. He agrees. Morale was low. There were a lot of inexperienced people hired to replace the people who were leaving. So there was some turmoil within the department, and they're still maybe stabilizing some of that turmoil yet today. But he points out that even after Governor Evers was elected, Uh, and took office in the beginning of 2019, January of 2019, another two years has passed. And in January of this year, as the the new year dawned this year, she was still licensed. So another two years passed, and he says, uh, this is a case where the administration, whether it was under Governor Walker or Governor Evers, DSPS dropped the ball. And uh, he specifically points to their decision after the second case became uh, public. And that happened in November of 2018. Ironically enough, it occurred, it was discovered the day after Tony Evers was elected. So November 7th of 2018 is when it was discovered. He takes office in January of 2019, appoints a new secretary. The department at that time could have looked at this and said, these are two cases of diversion. This is so, uh, so troubling that we need to suspend this nurse now while the investigation continues, while we dot the I's and cross the T's and then ultimately determine what the outcome is going to be. And that's within on. their
0: discretion to do that.
1: It, it is. And it is something that they don't use in every case. In fact, they use it sparingly. It's a it's a, an action called summary suspension. It is used in cases, the most egregious cases, when a practitioner is deemed to be uh, a particular danger to the public. And I asked Thexton, who is a very experienced prosecutor, with what you see in these files in 2000, late 2018, early 2019, was this nurse... Uh, enough of a danger of the public to warrant summary suspension, and his response was, obviously. So he thinks the department should have suspended her immediately uh, in late 2018, early 2019, and that would have given her incentive to cooperate as fast as possible, to respond as quickly as possible, to try to get her nursing license back. Instead, the department decided to go the typical route, which was to just keep investigating, keep working the case, allow her to respond at her her leisure, and ultimately, when the plot process played out, come up with some sort of discipline. That took another two years, and it meant she kept getting jobs, and, and uh, no one who hired her knew that she had this on her record.
2: So besides
0: faster discipline, which obviously was a takeaway from this story, are there any other strategies or methods for how to handle these situations with healthcare workers who are struggling with addiction to make sure that they get the help they need, but also to make sure that the public is protected.
1: Well I, I didn't get into it in this story and it's something I'd like to look into further for for the the broadcast side of things. But one of the things that came up in, in my investigation here, I talked to Dr. Mike Miller, who's an addiction psychiatrist, used to work for Rogers uh, now works for his own private practice, but is also an advisor to the Wisconsin Medical Society. He also is on the board uh, of an accrediting agency that uh, that accredits uh, treatment programs for specifically for healthcare professionals. There are uh, confidential treatment programs for healthcare professionals, doctors in particular, nurses and others, in I believe it's either 47 or 48 states. Wisconsin is one of only two or three states that does not have a confidential treatment program that is separate from the body that uh, handles discipline. In Wisconsin, there is a treatment program that is outside the disciplinary process that's called the Professional Assistance Procedure but it is operated by the Department of Safety and Professional Services, the same people who hand out discipline and, and uh, you know reprimand people and take away their licenses. So right now there are only thirty nurses that are currently participating in the PAP, and there are some, Dr. Mike Miller among them, who say that's because there's no trust uh, among healthcare professionals that they can either self-report or report a colleague without it leading to some sort of disciplinary action. And without that sort of confidential ability to report someone for treatment and see if they can get help before it turns into, say, a diversion case, many people just don't report at all. And uh, this doesn't become something that's public knowledge or doesn't, I, I should say, it doesn't lead to the point of getting some sort of action, some sort of treatment until you have a bad outcome and then discipline is involved. So That's one possibility, and it's something it sounds like the Wisconsin Medical Society may be working on trying to introduce here. It would take an act of the legislature, I believe, to to create something like that. But we'll see more as as I learn more about this. It's certainly another potential avenue. It's controversial to some degree, though, because it means that healthcare professionals who maybe divert drugs on the job might well go through a confidential process that we, the public, never find out about. Um, That should, in theory only apply if they are successfully treated and it never happens again. But we have seen in the past at times people who've gone through treatment programs multiple times uh, and, and continue to violate. And if that isn't something that's in sort of the public sphere, there is that concern that you have someone who's a, a repeat, at least in this case, we know Amanda Newenhouse has this repeat history because it's in the public record at this point. Um, so there, there's some controversy there, but there's strong belief among some that the more people you can encourage to get treatment— you can head this problem off before it actually affects patients.
0: Well, and it sounds like there are some changes DSPS could make right now. So for example, one thing you point out in the story is when when you look up Amanda Newenhouse, you there's no there was no indication that uh, she had these kind of open cases against her. It would look like at first glance that she's had no issues in the past. That seems like it would be a, a pretty simple thing. For DSPS to update,
1: it's a simple thing for them to update technologically. Uh, it's a much more difficult thing when you deal with the lobbies that represent healthcare professionals. If you think about it, right now, if someone's charged with a crime and they have yet to be convicted, you can look it up in Ccap, and it's no. Of course, you know they're at least charged with a crime. Someone's found enough evidence to open the investigation and and, and accuse them of that crime they haven't yet been found guilty when it comes to uh, the healthcare professions when there's any sort of disciplinary investigation that's opened that is kept confidential it's not posted on the website until unless and until the appropriate board the board of nursing the the medical board actually uh, issues a final order And discipline against them. So uh, in this case, it was pending for four years, but there was no sign of that on the state's website. We know that the nursing home in Janesville says they did a background check. Her record was clean, and she didn't include the nursing homes that fired her on her resume. So they had no way of knowing that she had been caught multiple times stealing medications. And they were shocked, they say, to learn of this history when we told them. Uh, That does seem to be a gap in the system. uh, If it's that easy to Uh, not let your new or future employer know that you've already been caught twice and the state's got an open investigation against you it does as you say man it seemed like it should be easy for the state to make a notation that there's a pending investigation but again uh if they do that how would the healthcare lobbies respond i imagine they would have their lawyers on that pretty quickly and it would be a tough sell
0: what did amanda newenhouse have to say about all this
1: I obviously, as you see in the story, if you watch the broadcast story, I tried to approach her at her home. I I first tried to call her and email her and got no response. I tried to approach her outside her home in Darien. She denied who she even was. She said, I said, are you Amanda? She was wearing a a, a hooded coat and it wasn't entirely clear to me. Is this the person I've seen in pictures on on the Internet? So I asked, are you Amanda? She said no. I said, do you know where I could find her? She said, no, I don't. Moments later, I texted the number I had for Amanda, and uh, she didn't deny it had been her. In fact, she acknowledged it was and said that she would talk to me on the phone, but after she spoke to her lawyer. So we made an appointment for a couple of days later at 4.30 p.m. An hour before that, she texted me to say she wasn't going to be available and she needed to talk to her lawyer still. We tried again a couple more times. The third time, she said she was in the hospital. Um, I don't know if she was in the hospital or not, but uh, then after that, we made yet another appointment and she stopped responding. So um, I've never been able to speak to Amanda about this directly, uh, but uh, we certainly gave her plenty of opportunity. One thing for sure, I know that uh, I want to say DSPS was clear that they would not handle this case this way. Today, they say that Secretary Krim is working to Clean up some of these issues and improve the disciplinary, uh, uh, the way disciplinary proceedings are handled in their department, and uh, and so they don't see cases going this way in the future. Would they have made a different decision as to whether or not to suspend her uh, immediately after that second case? Uh, it seems to me they're indicating they probably would have, though they haven't outright said they would have. They did say they'd handle it differently. I assume that's one of the ways they might have handled it differently. But certainly, this is something that has the attention of the the licensing agency and they're promising to make changes and and hopefully those are changes for the better.
0: Lots more to dig into here. Thanks Brian. And in the meantime we are going to continue bringing you these twice weekly episodes of Open Record as we cover these kinds of issues, the COVID-19 pandemic, reckless driving, police community relations, and so much more. So if there's a topic you want us to talk about, an issue you think we should investigate please send us an email and you can send your emails to fox 6 at Fox.com. That's Fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com.
1: As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. And please subscribe to Open Record if you have not already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson for Amanda St. Hilaire. We'll be back again on Tuesday.